0: Welcome into Hardcore College Football. With me today is a very special guest to help me break down this 1994 matchup between Nebraska and Penn State. his Cluster Johnson the first wingback slash wide receiver for Nebraska during that 1994 season? How are you doing today, Cluster? Good.
1: Thank man
0: I appreciate it any chance I get to talk to a two time national champion the pleasure is all mine so I really appreciate you coming out here Uh, you played like I said for two national championship seasons go back to where you started and that was Bellevue High School where you're an all state quarterback can you talk about your high school quarterback experience
1: sure yes I uh... actually how I ended up playing quarterback was My cousin was a very, very good running back, and when I came to visit him in the summer, wasn't even intending to even live in Nebraska, but he was already known as this great junior high running back, and he's a year older than I was, and as I got to hanging out with him, he was an only child, and uh, I had two older brothers who were already gone, and I was living with my grandmother at the time. So I would come and visit him in the summer, and we concocted this idea to let's play sports together. Let's let's stay together, go to high school together. And um, but he was already a really good running back, and that's the same position that I played. So I, you know, I just actually turned myself into a quarterback. I mean, I was already a pretty decent athlete, and uh, just every summer, I mean, in the summertime, I just spent. Hours and hours outside throwing throwing the ball with receivers and other guys around just to get myself ready and uh, nobody expected me to actually even be the starter my my sophomore year and uh, I beat out everybody that was there and uh, so I ended up starting with my cousin his name was Tojo Biggs so I kind of give I kind of give him the props on me turning out the way that I am because. Initially, I was a running back, and he forced me to be a quarterback. <laughs> and, um, I, uh, and, and he was an avid weightlifter. So that was another thing I had going, to get, uh, had going for me it was I followed him, who was a weightlifter. You know, he was just really big in preparation. So I know we don't want to get into the Kobe situation, but when I, when I, when I think of the mamba mentality – you know, he by any means necessary become the best person you can, best athlete that you
0: can. That was my cousin, Tojo Biggs. He he did that for me. Yeah, no, you're so. a, that was absolutely that's perfect timing. You can definitely any shout out to Kobe Bryant is a shout out allowed on this show, that's for sure. And you ended up having a great high school career. And as you mentioned, you were a star in basically everything that you did. I mean, you threw for three over three thousand five hundred yards. You ran for over five hundred yards. You scored thirty six touchdowns. You were a Gatorade Nebraska Player of the Year. Uh, you also <laughs> played linebacker, but in total, you lettered eight times, including football, wrestling, and track. Besides football, what was your favorite sport?
1: Definitely track. Um, I loved, I just loved sports, period. Anything that could keep me from being inside the house. Because, <laughs> you know, as you, you know, I'll be 47 and, three weeks and there was no social media there was there was nothing
0: to really do inside i mean there was there wasn't even playstation there was no (laughs) podcast
1: there was no podcast uh i think atari 2600 came out (laughs) but (laughs) i remember atari 2600 coming out but that was so expensive like we didn't have one and it wasn't until i got into college until i really kind of got into uh video games Um, but all through high school no cell phones there was no video games all all we could do was be outside running around playing basketball playing um, you know pick up football and lifting weights that's what we did so that um, allowed me to just continue to hone my skills from One season to the next season to the next season. And what really made, I would say, myself different in regards to giving my body rest, because this this is one of the things I feel that hurt kids today, is they go year-round and they never give themselves a chance to rest. Uh, In the summertime, I did nothing. So after track was over, I did nothing until the fall. I just ate, slept. And you know, lifted weights. Okay, that's all I did.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good life, if you ask me. It was a great life. So, at what point did you realize that hey, like I'm actually pretty good at this football thing and I can probably play this at the next level? What was that your sophomore year at the end of your sophomore year, uh, your junior year? At what point were you starting to get looks from a couple coaches?
1: So, I gotta tell you what's crazy, my aunt and uncle were not into sports at all, they didn't even realize that i was doing well they didn't realize that my cousin both of us because they were all about education they didn't care what we did as long as we had good grades (laughs) but so here's the funny thing my junior year they get orders to go to korea you you know my uncle was in the military i was living with them and he goes well looks like we'll have to pack up and we're, we're heading to korea i'm going (laughs) (laughs) Now by this time This is my junior year I'm finishing my junior year And we're talking I got one more year left Now my junior year Is when all these letters Started rolling in Nebraska Pretty much the whole Big 8 It was the Big 8 at the time Right I got letters from everybody Except Oklahoma And Colorado I got scholarship offers By everybody Six of the Eight Big 8 teams And then I had Indiana, Ole Miss, uh, Tennessee.
0: I had a uh, Vanderbilt. <clears throat> I had a bunch of schools that were very for, interested in me. For the sake of the argument, did Penn State offer you? They did
1: not. They did not. Right. I don't. You know, I've never known Penn State. Even even with a lot of the great athletes that we have come that have come out of Nebraska over the years, I've never known anybody to ever have a Penn State offer.
0: Yeah, I would. I definitely. It's on the uh, pipeline for Penn State. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) But the crazy thing is, like, we Nebraska had guys from New Jersey. Um, We've had guys, obviously, from California, Florida, Texas. Um, But I can't ever remember anybody from the. Oh, you know what? We did have one guy from Pennsylvania. I remember.
0: Now, do you think, and we can, we're can we going to actually talk about this probably more towards the end of the show, but since it's come up, let's kind of, why has that changed so much nowadays? It's not that Nebraska doesn't recruit well, but as you said, Nebraska always got the really good Nebraska kids and the really good Oklahoma kids, and now it seems it's hard for them to pull kids out of California, pull kids out of these other really big hot spots. Why do you think that's the case?
1: So... What happens, and it has happened to a lot of the great programs. I mean, Oklahoma had a moment where they were just really down. I remember in college, Alabama. You know, they had times where they just weren't really good. You know, Miami's going through it right now. Florida State's going through it right now. Some of the traditional powers, when I was in college, are struggling right now. I mean, USC is kind of Colorado
0: is a perfect example.
1: Colorado and a lot of these teams are not very good. And what happens is. When you look back on those teams, they had legendary coaches, they had legendary staffs, and when you start getting that turnover, that can really significantly affect the culture of a team. I mean that that could that could really affect the culture. If a guy gets fired and there's no leftovers from the previous staff that had a lot of success, um, that's what happens. And I say that because when you look at, like, a North Dakota state who wins FCF championships every year, those guys never – their coaches never get fired. They leave and get better jobs, but the defensive coordinator will stay back and become the head coach. You know what I'm saying? Right, so the
0: culture doesn't change.
1: The culture doesn't change at all. So uh, when when Coach Solitz left – who should have never been fired. Because when you look back at his 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 coaching record and his the percentage of games that he won, I mean, he was right under 80%. I want to say 77%, 78% winning percentage. I bet you Nebraska would love to have that right
0: now. Right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And let's let's put a pause on this conversation because, I mean, okay. because we can talk about this. I feel like you and I can go back and forth on There's this all day. There's a lot day. of places we can go. There's right, and so as my... I, I want to talk about you, okay? We're going to talk about you. <laughs> so I, you started to get all these offers, especially in the Big 8. And then yep. was it always in Nebraska? Was it, hey, I always want to play for my home state. I want to be closer to my you know family? Or, That's not, no, actually not. So let me take you to
1: uh, here. You know, My aunt and uncle were not sports fans. Right. So my brother was getting out of the military. <clears throat> he was doing his last year of the army he became my power of attorney and got an apartment and i lived with him my senior year i was 18 he was 22 and he was my guardian
0: (laughs) talk about love for a big brother right there that's right
1: so he went through the whole recruiting process with me um But, no, I did not – honestly, I did not have an affinity for Nebraska football because you got to understand, I'd I'd only moved up here – now, you know, it's my junior year going to my senior year. I'd only been in Nebraska for like two and a half, three years. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. I wasn't like most of the kids here. I didn't grow up being a Husker fan. And I didn't know a lot about Nebraska football until, um, you know, my senior year – I just know Coach Osborne started to talk to me and visit me quite often. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing. I
0: bet. Absolutely.
1: I mean, this guy is like the most powerful guy in Nebraska. And he's like coming and getting me out of school and taking me to a local restaurant so we can sit down and, and, and talk and, and just talk about the future. And once that happens, I, um, I knew that that's where I was going to go. It was. It was actually came down between Iowa and Nebraska.
0: Well, the Iowa fans are gonna be pretty upset here in that one.
1: <laughs> well, the difference was, I never heard anything from Hayden Fry. Like Hayden Fry, never came to me and expressed that hey, you you know you are an important part of our program that we want. But Coach Osborne did
0: so. And that's interesting because, I mean, we still hear that today with recruits and how important that is. A lot of coaches will say that you're important and and give you an offer, et cetera. But the ones that seem to show up on your doorstep, to show up on recruits' doorsteps the most and get the most face time tend to be the ones where recruits gravitate towards. So, I mean, it, it seems to be the case regardless of if this was in, you know, 1991 or in 2019 or 2020.
1: Most definitely. Most definitely. I mean, if you hear from the head coach who's the face of the program and the most noticeable guy. Like nobody really knows who the recruiting coordinator is. That's not the person they talk about on T V. They're talking about Tom Osborne. They're talking about Joe Paterno or, you know, whoever was the head coach at the time. When you hear from that guy and you know he's very uh well revered, I mean that that was that made a huge impact on me. So um one of the big things that actually won me over was he goes you know cluster <clears throat> you know basically not everybody goes pro you know, i know that you have aspirations of want to play pro football but not everybody goes pro and i really feel that here in the state of nebraska if you you know get your degree you know keep keep your your nose clean you have a great opportunity for for work and, and people will know you people will love you people will give you a chance and and uh, that that stuck, struck a chord in me that he would actually talk about things outside of football and right. I just thought that that was, I was, that was phenomenal that was phenomenal to me so right then and there I pretty much knew that uh, I was going to go to Nebraska
0: now did he recruit you as a quarterback at first or did, was his plans always wing back right away
1: <laughs> yes he, he recruited me as a quarterback and that's the original place he wanted me to start he saw me as a really good athlete who he thought who who he thought i can you know learn the option the that i formation option <clears throat> and uh you know unfortunately for me it just didn't work out for me like that and when i got to nebraska and we could get into that you know why i ended up switching but um as i got to college i just realize that that just wasn't
0: the spot for me. Okay, well before we get into that, why don't you explain what your triple option I-formation speed look was for people like myself at I haven't actually seen it with my own eyes in a live game. What is the I-formation, <laughs> triple option, speed option, Nebraska style, Tom Osborne offense? What is it?
1: well you know basically the speed option is is looking for you know it's dictated by the quarterback and he's looking for um, the side of the ball the, the side of the you know right or left where he's going to have the advantage uh, in blockers and when we got to the line he you know we could he could see right away you know based on where our tight end is lined up you know did did most of the defense shift to the tight end or did they uh you know did they have a like an even front or you know so the quarterback had to kind of read
0: that hold on a second you're telling me you guys didn't know if you guys were running right or left until you got to the line of scrimmage every play for the most part so he would so they would call a play
1: based off of what they ran Okay. okay what defense was set up for what they thought they so so you know how most coaches script plays
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so what coach Osborne would do he would script probably the first 15 plays and they would be all different sets okay so based on the set we would run he would see how they would line up against it and based on how they lined up then he would know exactly what to call okay so if he if we, if we ran like a let's say a pro set you know a pro set would be uh, tight end uh, let's say um, I right you know pro right so pro right with, in, in our offense was tight end to the right uh, split in, which is an X out Y off the line you know so the tight end would be on the line the X would be off I'm following then the Z the the Z would be on the line on the other side. <clears throat> and uh, you know, me being the wing back, I I would probably be in the slot uh, on the left side. So based on how they lined up against that, so the strong side would be considered the the tight end side. Right. But so if they shifted most of their defenders to the tight end side we would opposite to the side that the two receivers were on and that meant now there's two receivers out there to block now you got the fullback potentially coming out to block and then you got to cover the you got then you got to decide if you're going to take so then it's like one man left usually then he has to decide is he going to go at the quarterback or is he going to try to go for the running back? And so the, the 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 quarterback just reads it. Right. The quarterback will so that and that so that's that's what made Tommy Fraser so good at it because he could anticipate what he thought this this last guy would do. And if he thought that the guy was going to try to tackle him, of course he's going to pitch it off, you know. And then, I mean, I can't even tell you. I think we averaged nine nine and a half yards of carry in 95 like it was very ridiculous
0: it seems like from all the film I watched this past week it seemed like there wasn't very many plays that were, were going backwards
1: yeah yeah so we we uh, and I want to say in, in 94 I don't I can't remember the number of what we averaged per carry uh, then but um Ninety-five. I know we averaged about nine, eight, or nine yards per carry, and um, I, I, it was pretty good in '94 too. I want to say it's pretty good in '94, but definitely '95 was just just very
0: dominant. Well, to give you to give you an idea here, you guys averaged five point nine yards per carry in nineteen ninety four. Okay. Now, but that most Which likely. That most likely includes sacks and you know fumbles and any other those random things that happen. So it's probably closer to seven or so of actual run plays. Um, and in addition to that, just to give you a, maybe a better idea, Lawrence Phillips, the the running back that year, he averaged seven point eight yards per carry. Yeah. So so that kind of gives you a little bit more of an idea of. I mean, then there's there's probably like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> Eight, nine guys that are averaging over 10 yards per carry. So, (laughs) including yourself, who averaged 23.3 yards per carry in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I only got a couple of carries on that year. That's true, but you know, you you converted on them for two touchdowns. So, maybe they should have given you the ball more. (laughs) Exactly. I think that's what we've learned from all this so far, is that you should have gotten more carries in
1: 1994. I got, yeah, I definitely should have got more. I, I do
0: agree with that. <laughs> well, but you were playing a lot behind Abdul Muhammad, correct? In 94, yes. In 94,
1: uh, actually, in 93 and 94, Abdul and I pretty much shared the, the you know, he was considered the starter, but I probably played just as much as he did, or maybe
0: even more, because I was a lot bigger than he was. So for so blocking started, purposes, you were... Yeah, so we, we did a ton of blocking, and
1: we had to block a lot of linebackers. <clears throat> you know, I, I had to block two legendary linebackers, and uh, in, in Ray Lewis and um, Zach Thomas from Texas Tech, who had a long career. Yeah, Zach
0: Thomas so was, had a great career. I mean, he was probably the most slippery. He was the, the slipperiest of, of them all. Now, did you get just... a did you get a good crackback block on Ray Lewis at any point in that? No, I mean, I just I know I got in his way
1: a few times where he he wouldn't he wasn't <laughs> making any tackles. Um, plus, those guys got really
0: tired. I mean, we tired them out. All right, and that seems to be the the big key to this whole offense. Is not only do they have the numbers advantage, or do you have the numbers advantage? But when you come at them consistently, I mean, that's basically what the triple option teams do nowadays. Like, okay, you might beat us in the first quarter, but by the fourth quarter, we want to see you guys, you know, keep up with us to that point. And that seems to be, if you go back and look at some of your games, for example, well, again, I don't want to get all the way to this, but you're leading me into so many great things. But if you look at that Miami game, and I was going to ask you about this later, but it's come up already, but... And maybe you can go into the exact speech, but I believe Coach Osborne went on the line and said something at halftime along the lines of, hey, we keep doing what we're doing. We keep playing the way we're supposed to be playing. They're going to get tired, and they're going to, you know, basically squander their three-point lead at the time, which ended up being a little bit more before you guys came back. But that ended up being true. What what did he actually say at halftime?
1: Well, you know, Miami had, obviously, they had a little bit more (laughs) – They were at home, first of all, we were playing the national championship game in their stadium, (laughs) which is, um, and at that time, the year that we played them, they had just gotten their home winning streak broke that year. So that gave us some confidence. Washington came in and actually beat them at home. Uh, But up until that point, they were invincible in the Orange Bowl. I mean, they hadn't lost in the Orange Bowl, I want to say, in like eight or nine years or something like that. They just hadn't lost. They had this 50-something game home winning streak, and I think it's still the record today. Uh, they just couldn't get beat at home. And when Washington beat them, uh, that that really gave us confidence. that oh, You know what? If Washington can beat them, you know, we can beat them and uh, I just knew that uh, with their speed, that's the, that's the only thing that really kind of beats, that could beat the option, um, because Coach Osborne would have the plays drawn up, you know, perfectly <laughs> if everything goes right, we, we're having a touchdown every play, but, right. but obviously these guys, what beats the option is speed, so if, if we're trying to get out to block somebody and they're getting around you it's just you know they're going to blow the play up, and that's usually what happens uh, in the beginning of the games with teams that just have a ton of speed you know the linemen are fast you know they're getting off blocks and, and the DBs are fast you know they're reading what's coming so so they're they're almost beating you to the to the spot and, and that's what it's all about uh, when, it, when it comes to the option um but, but what works to your advantage in the option is if people are over-pursuing.
0: Right. Um, I'm assuming defenses wouldn't really want to blitz too much against you guys. Well, I just think that they had,
1: uh, you know, some of the Florida schools just had so much confidence that, that they can whip, you know, their D-line can whip their O-line and just be there. Before you could even make a, a real good decision, I mean that's that's how it used to be. Uh, the the games would be won in the line. I would say that was that was the biggest difference back in the day. Uh, skill wise, I would say I would say Nebraska always had pretty good skill guys, but we just never had the linemen that could match the speed of a Warren Sapp or a Cortez Kennedy or and they they just had Jerome Brown I mean they had some guys that are that were all pro
0: <laughs> Yeah the that that 94 team was Madaris. no joke absolutely not
1: Man, They had Rusty Medeiros. I mean I just remember all these guys they had They were just really good Uh I and mean, then think about like like Vince Warfolk you know those guys were in 2001 you know those teams they just had really good D linemen that you couldn't block that hurts that hurts an option Um, so
0: now what made so in that situation what made (laughs) the offensive lineman? what what was so different about guys like Brandon Stye and Zach that made the Nebraska offensive line successful against that speed so I I, I believe that um,
1: years of experience coming down getting your butt kicked year after year (laughs) because So back in the day, the automatic winner for the Big 8 goes to the Orange Bowl. You know, that's when they had bowl
0: tie-ins. Right, there the was the, uh, winner, the the bowl coalition had just kind of started.
1: <laughs> so the Big 8 winner would go to the Orange Bowl. Uh, the Big 10 winner goes to the Rose Bowl. Um, so every single year, the reason why Coach Osborne had the seven-game bowl losing streak was every year – he would we would end up playing Miami or Florida State.
0: Right, in and, and Florida. And before before you get too much center out that loss in nineteen ninety three to Florida State, how much did that mean or how much did that maybe affect you guys going into the ninety four and also the ninety five season?
1: So I would say that year, that's when Coach Osborne changed his defense from the five two to the fourth attacking 4-3 four, that's where you get that's where safeties became linebackers and um, he got more speed on the field that could actually run with that's and that's when the spread started getting popular um uh, you know teams like Florida State and, and even even say a BYU I would say BYU was probably the most ahead of the game but um you know, teams like Florida State and Florida. I mean, they were they were airing that thing out already. Uh, Miami. You know, they were they were they were throwing the ball. And um, Nebraska. When you run a five-two, that means you got two big. You got you know you got five D linemen, but then you got two big linebackers. Usually, we were, you know, Coach Osborne was designed to stop the run. He was designed to stop the option in the Big Eight. You now, the Big Eight was more of a running. Um, was more of a running league. But every year, we'd go
0: down and play in a bowl game against throwing teams. Right, right. <laughs> and you so, see that um, polarity still today to a certain degree. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> so, um, what he did was, when he, when he realized he got faster, when he got faster, um that's when we really started to dominate the Big 8 and the Big 12 because he changed his defense for an attacking 4-3 and then we just we became the Florida State in the Midwest because we just had a bunch of really fast guys on the field who were swarm to the ball um, and I would say that the D-line the, the they just you know they leaned up got, got a little lean um, getting your butt kicked to the Miamis and the Florida State just kind of shows you what level of intensity you supposed to play at
0: <clears throat> right that makes and, sense
1: uh, yeah so I, I would say I, I clearly remember my freshman year Nebraska had two losses and they lost to the split national championship they lost to Washington in 91 and then they lost to Miami that was their two losses and um, both of those teams were very similar in that they just they were very fast up front and they had a lot of athletes who can who can really run fast so uh we went down to miami and got our butts beat 22 to nothing but i clearly just remember
0: the the word swag wasn't invented <laughs> back then but right
1: these teams just had a ton of swagger man they back when you could take your helmet off and <laughs> you can make a play and stand over people and I mean it was just a lot of that going on and, and us as freshmen we saw that we saw that we go okay <laughs> this 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 is how you're supposed to play this is how you can't you can't be intimidated <clears throat> you, and, and and I think that's the time where we learn um, to have fun in a hostile environment you know we we got off on
0: going to other people's stadiums and shutting it down. <laughs> that, that's, I mean, that you see the great teams have that ability, and and the '94 and '95 Nebraska teams were obviously great teams. Any other any other games in 1994 that you would quickly like to point out, or maybe talk about more? The at Kansas State game seems to be one. Um, where you guys went in there and you held them to six points but they had some success in uh stopping you guys as well now it should be noted and should be clearly stated that at that time Nebraska didn't have Tommy Frazier it was Brooke Berenger who was the quarterback so you you lose a little bit of the explosiveness uh that Tommy Frazier brought to the table but why why was Kansas State so successful and, and what What made them different compared to a lot of teams where you were dropping 70 or 42 or 49 consistently? Well, think about
1: this. K-State was just like us. You know, when we dealt with the Florida States and the Miamis, they knew in order for them to go to that next level, they had to match us. And I think that Coach Osborne, um, Coach uh, Snyder, um... I would say we honestly probably had the psychological advantage over them because when Coach Osborne retired, he, he never lost to Oklahoma State, never lost to Kansas, and never lost to Kansas State. And his whole career of being a college coach, he had like a 30-year winning streak against them. It's phenomenal. So... So think
0: so think about that. And especially so, the people okay. for listeners, people don't realize how good Kansas State was too. It wasn't like yeah. Kansas like an eight and four Kansas State team. Like we're talking about a, a perennial powerhouse yeah. in Kansas State. Oh yeah. They had some they have some good teams,
1: but I just remember I never, ever, ever felt like I was gonna lose to K State. And they were good. You know, they were a top ten, top fifteen team. And uh Coach Snyder I'm, I'm going to tell you kind of how we psychologically, I I remember what Coach Snyder did. <laughs> and this is brilliant. This is brilliant what he did. And you can't get away with this today, but this is what he did. If you look at his non-conference schedule, it would be so powder-puffy. Like, <laughs> I want you to go look at those 90s K-State games. Before he got into the Big 8, look and see who he played prior to Big 8 games. I mean, it would be really, really bad teams. So, when they would come into the game with us, um, you know, and then they would play probably not very good Big 8 teams before they play. because back in the Big 8, it would be us and Colorado. It was us, Colorado, K-State. Like, they, they just primarily had to beat us in, in Colorado. If you beat us in Colorado, you're going to the Big 8 champ. You know, you, I mean, you're the Big 8 champs. Right. So they could have a terrible non-conference, but they knew that they had to beat us two teams. So now they're getting to the point where they could beat Colorado, but they just still couldn't beat us. And psychologically, what we would say is, because they would come into our game They'd be number one in the nation defense. They'd be top 10 offense. But we would always go, Who did you play? Right. You didn't
0: play anybody. You didn't play us. <laughs> hadn't <laughs> played I, Colorado I hadn't, yet? And they probably hadn't played Colorado
1: yet because they usually play Colorado after us. Right. But if you get a chance, look at some of those schools that they would play. I mean, it'd be like Tulsa. You know, and uh, let me see who else would they? I mean, it's just, it'd be really bad schools. You know, it'd be really, really bad schools. Um, you know, Carlisle School of the Mines. <laughs> you know, like it, it would just be really bad schools, South Dakota, and they would kill those teams. You know, they would kill them. So I think it gave them a lot of confidence. You know, and Coach Snyder would make them believe. Hey, listen, guys, we're one of the best teams in the country. We're five and zero going into the Nebraska
0: game. So yeah, here with, I, I, I pulled up nineteen ninety one just to give you an example. They played Indiana State, Idaho yep. State, and Northern Illinois to start the year. See, see, <laughs> and then uh, in ninety who, who uh, in two, in they had Montana, and then uh, they played Temple, and then New Mexico State. Just,
1: now, you see what he would do?
0: Right. Now, yeah, and even they weren't even really blowing out those teams in ninety. In 90- but they were winning, though. Right. They
1: were winning. They were winning. See, he comes from the worst. They would be the worst program in the country. They they came from being the worst program in the country. But he said, you know what, I'm going to start beating up on some of these teams. You know, the Temples, the New Mexico's. When we start beating them, okay, then we, we get our confidence up. And then my our guys would have enough confidence. They're undefeated. Now we can, you know, let's see how we compare to Nebraska. Well, we would spank them every
0: time. <laughs> yeah, there. I mean, they, you're not lying. I just I've been searching through them as you've been talking, and yeah, there's some there's some bad ones on there. But yeah. you mentioned Colorado, and I feel like we couldn't have you on the show enough. If we didn't talk about Colorado at least a little bit because they obviously, as you mentioned, were the most competitive with Nebraska in the '90s. Talk about that rivalry and and kind of unfortunately how that rivalry has disappeared as well, and how that makes you feel. Well,
1: Coach Osborne, honestly, I would say the team that he really only respected the most that that he really
0: felt like was a true rivalry to Nebraska was Oklahoma, right?
1: Um, because when he when he first became a head coach at Nebraska. He could not beat Oklahoma for ten years. It took him ten years. So the way Coach Osborne treated the other programs,
0: that's how Oklahoma treated him. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Years for ten years, he could not beat Oklahoma. Barry
1: Switzer would just pull the rabbit out of his hat and just beat Coach Osborne every year. Like they were not blowout games. It would just always be you know pretty even games, and then at the end, Oklahoma would just pull away. And uh, so, Coach Osborne felt like he needed to get Oklahoma's respect, and uh, and they were a powerhouse in the fifties and sixties, and so and in the seventies. So, so that's who Coach Osborne looked at as a true rivalry, as as a as a team that made Nebraska
0: better. It was Oklahoma. Okay. Um,
1: so Colorado was never really a team that Coach Osborne worried about. Now, when Bill McCartney became the head coach, I think Bill McCartney realized that, you know what, Nebraska is that team now. Like, they're the team to beat. Because now we're just now slaughtering Oklahoma. Oh, you know, Barry Switzer's gone now. And, uh, again, that's what happens. A legend leaves and the program start to suffer. So when Barry Switzer left... That's what Coach Osborne.
0: He became the the man. He became the man in the Big Eight. Yeah, and, in uh, that 1994 season, uh, Colorado beat number ten Wisconsin at the time, number four Michigan at the time in Ann Arbor, number sixteen yeah. Texas at the time in Austin, uh, number yeah. twenty two Oklahoma, number nineteen Kansas State, and their only loss was at Nebraska to your Cornhuskers. 24-7. to 7. And then they didn't lose the rest of the year, including a win over Notre Dame in the Fiesta yeah. Bowl. So that was a perfect year where, hey, they're doing everything right, but they couldn't get over the hump against you guys. No. So,
1: again, Coach Osborne, I'm going to tell you why we would beat Colorado most of the time. Coach Osborne would never let us look at them as a rivalry. He would just say, hey, guys, you know what? These, are, these guys are wannabes. Basically, that's what he would huh. say. <laughs> these guys are one of these. So we would get all this information from Colorado about stuff that Bill McCarty would say about us, the pet rallies, you know, nobody could wear red in their office. <clears throat> nobody could wear red on campus. So Coach Osborne would say, hey, if they have to do all that, we're already in their heads.
0: <laughs> that's a good point.
1: If you have to make us that big of a deal, that means you're dreaming about us. That means you worry about us. <laughs> that means you're not ready about us. That means when you get to playing us, you're going to be tight. You're going to be tight. You're going to think you have to play perfect, and you don't have to. Just practice hard and, and play like you practice, baby. I mean, and that, that's pretty – see, Coach Alborn was a psychologist. He was really, really good at psychology and um, so she go hey guys don't get caught up in the hype. They're not a rivalry to us. Oklahoma is our rivalry. These guys they just worry about us.
0: So that's interesting. That's really nice to see it from your perspective too because you know you see you know number 2 Colorado and you see number 1 Nebraska and and you're thinking well back then but I mean it's interesting to see how you guys how you guys approach that game. Yeah. Now,
1: never never ever approached the college. I never I never approached the Colorado game like in fear, but what happened was when we went to Colorado in those early '90s, it became very nasty between the fans, and that's why today Oklahoma—I mean, that's why today Colorado and Nebraska fans don't get along because back then Colorado could—they sold liquor in their stadium so of course you would have a lot of drunk fans right? and they would be very belligerent to Nebraska fans and there would be a lot of Nebraska fans complaining about damage to their vehicles Uh, you know there would be fights in the stands there would be people yelling at them (laughs) I mean it got ugly so then Nebraska fans started to kind of act like that towards them and you know Nebraska fans were not are, are known as nice fans but when Colorado came here, they started being nasty to them. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it became nasty because 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 Coach McCartney kind of made it like that. He wanted it to be a nasty rivalry. That, that's what he felt like he needed to do to
0: compete with us. That's, that's interesting. That, that is interesting. Now I'd be we're forty minutes in, and I mean you've already given me plenty of time already. We haven't even talked about. What, we came here to discuss, and so I think we've at least got to gotta go into this now. Let's get into it. Come on. Let's get into 1994, it. 1994 Penn State. Now, just to kind of give you the background and give you an idea of what maybe the argument is, 1994 Penn State went undefeated. Didn't lose yep. a game. Played some decent teams as well. Maybe not what people <laughs> consider great teams nowadays, but they did blow out teams that they were supposed to beat and and that included some really good wins as well including a, you know a 21 or excuse me uh, a 21 ranked Ohio State team which they won 63 to 14 they went on the road and beat Michigan 31 uh, 24 and then of course uh, they beat USC who was 14th at the time 38 14 at home and then they win the Rose Bowl against 12th ranked Oregon 38 20 now Again, as we already kind of alluded to, back then, they had this bowl coalition where they tried to find the best champions. And this bowl coalition, I believe, it already existed for three years, or this would have been the third year. And the previous two years, it it correctly gave the one versus two matchup because of the teams that were able to play there. Unfortunately, this bowl coalition didn't include the Rose Bowl. And so basically didn't include right. any teams from the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or or, or, right. or have you. And so Penn State, being in the Big Ten, went to the Rose Bowl as an undefeated team and didn't have the opportunity to play Nebraska right. respectfully. Now, right. the, argument, the argument made, and so again, at this time, because there was no true national championship like we have today or a playoff, imagine if we had a playoff back then, how cool that would have been. But... We have voters basically deciding from that point on. I mean, there are a lot of different ratings and foundations and, and and people who are claiming. I mean, you have the New York Times saying they want this team to be the national champion. There's all these different things right. out there. Um,
1: yeah, I remember that. It was like the Wild, Wild West. I remember. <laughs> yeah,
0: and a lot of things in college football back then were like the Wild, Wild West. But Tom Osborne, and correct me if I'm wrong, but hadn't won a national championship yet. Nope. Uh, and... In 1994, a lot of Penn State fans claimed that the voters sided with Nebraska because Osborne hadn't won a national championship yet. Obviously, Joe Paterno had already won two in '82 and '86, respectively. Osborne hadn't had one yet. And, and what you need to do is investigate the '82 season. <laughs> well, you know I. You
1: know Nebraska got robbed at Penn State, but keep going,
0: keep going. Well, we'll have to we'll have to have you back on the show to talk about 1982. <laughs> because I'm sure I'm getting a lot of heat probably right now from Penn State fans if I don't defend Penn State 1982 but I'm gonna I'm gonna let that one go and let that one stew a little bit between all the listeners so they can they can figure that one out maybe we'll have to come back and have 1982 because that would be
1: there was a mysterious Penn State catch in 82 that was way out of bounds that they got
0: but well well, I'm not done with this conspiracy but well if we have (laughs) enough time at the end we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go into that one how about that okay Um, that being said, that was one of the conspiracies. Hey, Osborne hasn't won one yet. They're like, Hey, this is, this is kind of why, um, another, another conspiracy was that they claim that a lot of the voters were from Ohio and, and that's the reason why they decided to vote towards Nebraska. Um, yeah. And so there's a lot of different random reasons, um, but the truth of the matter is, these two teams didn't get to play. And regardless if you thought Nebraska or Penn State deserved the national championship, I think everyone can agree that it was disappointing we never didn't get to see that matchup regardless. I mean, if you wanted Nebraska, if you wanted Penn State, okay. But the fact that we didn't get to see that game happen in a national championship setting. Because don't get me wrong, wrong, the, the Miami game and Oregon game, letting those games happen was fine. But the fact that maybe we could have had a national championship between... Nebraska and Penn State after that would have been pretty incredible to have. So, with that being said, the Penn State offense, pretty explosive. You had two Heisman finalists and Kerry Collins and Kajana Carter. Now, the one maybe reason why people would favor Nebraska was the Penn State defense at times was a little leaky. They they didn't necessarily, compared to all the other great Penn State defenses that maybe you could address, the Penn State defense in 1994 wasn't to the same degree or to the same uh, level you'd expect. For example, they gave up 31 to Michigan State. They gave up uh, 31 to Illinois. They gave up 29 to Indiana. They gave up 24 to Michigan. Uh, and maybe these numbers aren't so crazy for people nowadays, but for in the 90s, typically uh, seeing, you know, if you give up 30 points, you probably weren't going to win the game in most situations. So the fact that they were winning these games by basically outscoring their opponents. was very unpaternal like in a lot of degrees, uh, but also very uncharacteristic of Penn State in general. So, with that being said, I'm going to let you take it away. Penn State 94, (laughs) Nebraska 94. What would happen and why? I I didn't think you were going to give me a shot to to talk about it. (laughs) Nope, the show's over. Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. (laughs) Jesus. Hey, okay, hey now. I now to be fair, I have to give. I don't have a Penn Stater on. I don't have a you know a nineteen ninety four Penn Stater on here right now defending it. So I thought I had to give them at least a little bit of a shield before before the speed option comes running through the backyard. So here you go. I I remember
1: all of this like it was yesterday, and I remember Kajana Carter. I remember Kerry Collins. I remember there was a really great tight end named Brady. Last name Brady. <clears throat> Um, there were some really good receivers. Bobby Ingram was one. I think that was one.
0: Yeah, and Kyle Brady. Is really I
1: couldn't. Kyle
0: Brady was really mean, good. Yeah.
1: I, I want to say he went in the first round, maybe. Um, first, second
0: round. Yep, to the uh, Jets.
1: Bobby Ingram. I mean, very, very good offense. Um, but like we said, um, and, and, and they even still say this today is, uh, you know, defense wins championships. And at the time, I want to say Nebraska was one of the top defenses in the country. We had one of the top defenses in the country. Uh, and and given up points wise, I want to say we only gave up 11 to 12 points.
0: You know, I have the number in front of me, so I was curious what you're going to say. You gave up 12.5 points a game, so that was a pretty good memory. Uh, a yeah. third in the country. Yes, yes. So we are pretty
1: stingy when it came to giving up points. I want to say we gave up less than 300 yards a game um, in total defense. Or, or was it like uh, 258, I want to say?
0: Uh, you know, actually, total give me a second on that number. I don't think, for some reason, I don't have that number. But give me a second. I want to say uh, we only
1: gave up probably like 250 yards in total defense. So uh, I want to say we, we only averaged somewhere around 35 points a game. You so, you were
0: pretty much around the money. You you guys gave up 179 yards of passing and 79 yards of rushing. So yes. basically right around 250.
1: We were stingy, baby. We were stingy. So that being said, here here is where I make my argument. Uh, again – When you look at your scores, um, you know, a not very good Indiana team really kind of took them to the wire. Um, Then at Illinois, pretty close game. But I would say the difference maker is we go to Miami and play them in their home stadium for the national championship, and you go and play an Oregon team, that was probably not very highly regarded and beat them 38 to 20. I think if Penn State really would have hammered Oregon, it would have maybe, it would, it maybe would have made a little bit better of an argument. But 38 to 20 was not as impressive as a 24-17 win against a Miami team that never loses at home. Um, I, I just say that's you know better defense. Pretty good offense. Beat a Miami team in their backyard.
0: I mean, that, that's pretty hard to. to okay, now <laughs> I'm gonna like I'm that. gonna have to be the defen- and now again it's not just because I'm a Penn State fan, but it's because I I have to be. Yeah, I like to I like to hear what your rebuttal is that. Now the only I'm gonna rebuttal your Indiana remark just because Indiana happened to score three times in the last six minutes of the football game, so it 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 wasn't like, you know. I understand it was a little close at the end of 38-31, but to be fair, they did score 21 points in the last six minutes of the game. I just want to throw that out there. It wasn't, you know, at that point, Penn State— but Here's the but, though. Here's the but. If you
1: know that there is a team out there that that <clears throat> that you're competing against that you're probably not going to get a chance to play, you got to
0: look impressive. I know. And you know what? The New York Times, then, I got, that's what it had. That's what it was about. It was about, you had to, you had to look the part. I agree. And so does Malcolm Moran, who wrote this in the New York Times in November 6th, 1994. He agrees with you. He says this, he says, quote, next Saturday will bring the motivation of an imposing Illinois defense and the possibility that Penn State could clinch its initial Big Ten championship in the first trip to the Rose Bowl since 1923. But when the polls and rankings are revised, today's imperfections and the inevitable comparison with Nebraska's 45-17 win over Kansas could force the Lions to deal with the possibility that next time might be too late. End quote. So he agrees with you. I mean, he's out there saying, hey, and this is this is during the season. Like this is live takes. This is like uh this is as like the best thing you can get to like a first take in 1994. I mean, he's on. And he's basically saying, hey, you know, great, you won the game, but you didn't win it in the way you need to win it compared to Nebraska. So he's right there with you. I'm just saying they gave up 21 points. At the end, it wasn't like it was a close game back and forth. But I agree. I I would say that game and the Illinois game, because now Illinois had a pretty good defense, to be fair. Those two games back-to-back like that, I think that kind of solidified to the voters why Penn State wasn't going to win the national championship. I mean, you – You can't really do that when you're comparing what Nebraska was doing to teams as well. So I think that's that's the argument from there. But now that we kind of understand, and we could maybe go back and forth all day on who should win, but I think we're in agreement based off of the resumes Nebraska deserved to win it voting-wise. But if they actually played each other in a national—if you actually were on the field against Penn State, how would the game go— and maybe not just a score, but how, how would the the flow of the game go? And why would the score reflect the, the gameplay?
1: Well, again, I would say the year before, you think about this. We played a Florida State team that had Charlie Ward, who won the Heisman, along with some other really good receivers. Um, Derrick Brooks was on that team, who's a Hall of Fame linebacker. <clears throat> um... Clifton Abraham. I mean they they had an incredible team and William Floyd, first round, fullback, and we should have beat that team. We we should have beat them. We we should have won three national championships in a row, to be honest with you. Um so how you how people felt in Pennsylvania about Coach Osborne, the sentiment for him winning the national championship, we felt the same way the year before about Bobby Bowden. He had never won a national championship. And when you go back and look at that 94 game, uh, with 93 seeds and 94.
0: Right, I'm uh, following.
1: They called back a punt return. It was a phantom uh, clip in the back. They uh, fumbled the ball going into the end zone. William Floyd, they didn't call that. They had about three or four very, very, Crucial calls that probably today would be overturned, but since we were playing in Florida and Bobby Bowden had not won his his national championship, you can clearly see the the referees on his side. Like you could just clearly see it. It it wasn't even close. <laughs> so we still end up only losing eighteen sixteen, and we missed a field goal at the end to. to to win it Uh, we missed a 45 yard field goal still had a chance to beat them so overall the reason why I say we beat Penn State because we were very motivated by getting screwed the year before and by any means necessary we were going to win the next year because we had a lot of people coming back who had national championship experience the year before and we were going to win by all means necessary we didn't care where we were what we did, who we had to play. And that's the attitude we took going into that Miami game. We knew that it was a big challenge by having to play them in their stadium, which is really
0: unfair. <laughs> they would never do that today. And they wouldn't have a No, no, they would not. I mean, yeah. even having the national championship game this year. Yeah. Well, that that's a, a, bit little, yeah, yeah, that seems a little, yeah, it
1: seems a little weird. Unfair. Um, so, you know, that being said, we felt that our defense was really geared to stop the run. We, we were geared to make you one-dimensional. So, as you can see, we only gave up 79 yards rushing a game. We know Johnna Carter was a really good player, but he probably would have been the focus of um, attention uh, by shutting him down. You know, Kerry Collins was a good college quarterback. You know, he had really good skilled players. But I felt like we had the DBs to match up. Um, you know, we played, obviously, press man. And when you have the kind of linebackers and D-line that we have, I think we put pressure on him enough to, uh, to uh, um, you know, make mistakes and, and not – you know put up those big numbers that they that they were putting up. We we just felt like they hadn't played the type of talent. Um we we were a very talented team and I just felt like we would have overwhelmed
0: them. Yeah, I think we could agree that and and by the way how we do this is I talk about both teams and typically I was actually just going to add your interview into that but since we've gone on this awesome hour-long discussion. I'm probably going to have this separate. But I usually talk about both teams and the kind of the schedule and, and the playmakers. And then I kind of talk about what I think will happen. And then I actually hop on to NCAA football and I create the rosters and I actually simulate the games. Uh, and so we're going to get a simulation of this and when I watch the game and I commentate the game I'm definitely most excited to watch Penn State's offense versus Nebraska's defense. No offense to you, but I I'm really excited to see like you said how the this offensive juggernaut of Penn State who scored 47 yeah. points per game, how are they going to match up and would they score enough points um, and obviously, and more, maybe more importantly, would they convert on the possessions they got? Because as we talked about uh, before we started recording, my biggest concern is if Nebraska just gets going, if, if, if the the running game gets going, and the clock starts churning, I don't know if Penn State gets enough possessions. And that, so that's my biggest thing. And and as I started thinking about it myself, I and we talked about this on uh, before we started recording as well. I think it comes down to Tommy Frazier, and that's because I think healthy Tommy Frazier and his decision making as you as you talked about way earlier in that option scheme he's a difference on keeping you know maybe that third and four that third and six uh, moving the chains keeping that awesome of Penn State's off the field I think that's the difference the more Penn... I think
1: about this though let me add something. that Penn State defense couldn't stop a nosebleed and I think we have enough on defense to slow them down, but I don't think they have enough on defense to slow us down. So that's why I think there's a huge there's a huge difference there. We're going to slow – I mean, they have enough talent where they're going to make some plays, but can you consistently do that all night against a really good defense that's only giving up 250 yards a game? Um, but when you look at the Penn State defense, I mean, how many yards did they give up a game against some really <clears> – <throat>
0: Some really, you know, they gave up. They gave game. up 380 yards per game.
1: 380
0: yards a game. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of yards. They, they're giving up a lot of yards. Now, would game. you at least uh, concede that the Big Ten at least? I mean, for example, the they gave up 230 yards through the air, and so how many teams in the Big Eight were playing? Uh, were playing we're throwing, throwing like the ball that. all over the place yeah so I guess that's I,
1: I, would, I, I would say Colorado and K-State Colorado and K-State they, they, they were they were passing teams so, and, and again we start to gear ourselves to stop Florida State right, and the Miami's and the
0: Florida's right so and you held and to be fair you did held you did held cold Colorado seven points so you have some it was, proof that hey I miss more. Yeah, they, I mean they, they Who was a, a first round receiver? Well, and more and importantly, they're the Heisman good. Trophy winner as well. Rashawn Salam. Yeah. We stopped them. <laughs> we we cold stopped them. So. Uh, but it now it was in Lincoln, Nebraska. That is true. That is true. So, what do you think would happen if we play on a neutral site against a Penn State team that you know Rashawn Salam won the Heisman? So he ran for two thousand yards. Right, but if he has Penn State. If you ask Penn, if if Penn State you fans, he it? probably shouldn't have won the Heisman. And, and there was a Kerry Collins-Kajana Carter split that caused him to win. That's one argument some would <laughs> make. But, but, you know, Rashawn Salon ran for
1: over 2,000 yards. And back then, you run for, you run for over 2,000 yards. You, you know, you're considered... I mean, that's, that's, that's
0: like... Oh, I agree. I understand your point. I'm not saying Colorado is bad. And, and like I said, I think, I think Nebraska wins this game. I just want to see. I just want. Your point is like you. I understand your point. Hey, I think Nebraska's offense is good enough. It's not like you're playing against um, strong versus strong and weak versus weak. I mean, your your argument is right. hey, it's strong versus strong, but it's also pretty freaking good against weak. Is your argument with or without Tommy Frazier? And I'm right. saying I think. Tommy Frazier makes enough of a difference where... Okay, and I would concede maybe Nebraska wins by three or wins by six without Tommy Frazier, and with Tommy Frazier wins by 13 to 17. Maybe that would be a more reasonable... And again, and you look into the 1995 season, and that's something I wanted to talk about more, but we just simply haven't had time. Um, When you have a healthy Nebraska offense, I mean nobody even can come close so here's what used to
1: happen to nebraska back back in the day why they were so good we had a reload mentality and in 94 every single one of those linemen graduated with the exception of the center but all of the backups played a lot not they play a lot they went up against a very very good defense every day In practice, so the backups became, you know, we used to go good on good every day. So the backups became really, really good against a good Nebraska defense. Right. So when they were when they went in to plug and play the next year, I mean, they were ready because they play against the best players every day. Um. So we had pretty much all of our skill guys back, and the only thing that we had to um sure up was the offensive line and that was not even an issue i mean our offensive numbers were were even massively better
0: the next year so after (laughs) winning the national championship in 94 was it difficult to turn the switch back on i mean you win the national championship you rightfully redeem what happened the previous year against florida state that's the human nature aspect of it okay hey we did our job how were you guys able to say, "Hey, this isn't enough. We're still hungry for more and have even a better year in ninety five? Well,
1: this is why, and this is what this is where college football is different today. Coach osborne, we were we were literally three deep at every position. like the second and third guy could start and be very good very good we literally had in 95 i bet you we could have split that team the first and second team i bet you the second team could have been a completely different team and been in the top 10 wow that's how that's how good we were because think about the running backs we had a mon green and lawrence and lawrence phillips i mean both of those guys were you know they both went in the top you know three rounds in the draft then we had uh Damon Benning and Clinton Childs who went to camps um, so I mean we were really deep we were deep at receiver we were deep at linemen so that, that that's I would say that's that's a huge difference today guys transfer if they feel like I'm just as good as the guy ahead of me or you know he's not that much better than me Guys leave today. Back then, they did that. Just that didn't happen. Guys just waited until the other guy was gone. Then you know, even if they only have one year to start, they would rather just
0: start on a really, really good team. Okay, and, so let uh, that's, that's a good segue into kind of how maybe we should wrap this whole thing up. The transfer portal. I mean, as you uh, men- as you man- mentioned, the good players are going to go somewhere so they can play right away. Some will argue. Um, and now with the NCAA basically giving waivers away like it's free candy, most of these kids are transferring and then playing right away. Yeah. What is your feeling on the transfer portal? What is the proper way to let kids play um, but also not be penalized, for example, if they commit to a coach in a program and then that coach leaves? Well,
1: just like every, anything, man, everything evolves. Um, I believe in evolution. Evolution. Uh, sports evolve. Um, things change. Rules change. Um, because I think I think these things change because they realize there was something wrong with it in the first place. So that being said, what was wrong in the first place was everybody could see that a coach could leave with no issues. Why can't the player leave with no issue? Agreed. And that that used to be a huge deal people used to talk about that but now that you have allowed the player to leave now people are complaining about that (laughs) so so how do we want it out here people do we want it where everybody you commit you stay where your commitment is or do you allow a kid who feels like hey you know this coach is leaving or hey, I got a player who is my age and he's going to be starting and the only way I may have a shot is if he gets hurt. Like, I I actually like it. To be honest with you, I like it. Um, Now, I don't feel like you should shy away from competition. I think that you should compete your hardest. Like, I think Joe Burrow did it about about the best you could. Joe Burrow hung in there for three years. Just kept getting beat out, you know. I mean, what do you do? What do you do about that? You just beat out. And listen, he wasn't getting beat out by scrubs. I mean, these guys were really good. You know, everybody who beat him out. I mean, they they had very successful careers at Ohio State. But then he gets to the point where you know what? I only have a few years left. I got beat out again.
0: Right. (laughs) So, hey, I think I'm just as good. Or, you
1: know, maybe, maybe it's just a notch below, which is better than most college football players out there. So, you know, Joe Burrow showed you the power of how it could actually work out. Because just imagine if Joe Burrow just decided to, you know what, I'm just going to stay here at Penn State. Screw it. I'm just going to stay here. You would not have never seen any of this. This Heisman trophy. He's going to be the first pick of the draft now. But just imagine if he just would have stayed. He'd have been behind a really good Ohio State quarterback
0: this year. Right. And and I think it's interesting because I mean it's really all about betting on yourself because you can look at yeah. that example and how great that turned out. But then yeah. there's so many examples where oh maybe that wasn't the best decision. So Correct. I mean I Correct. my own personal view is hey I really like the idea that someone who's gotten a degree that can can transfer right away because they hey they've fulfilled their commitment in the classroom yeah. and they should be allowed to transfer right away to play. I also think if a coach leaves um, those players should also be allowed to transfer as well to a certain, and there's got to be some obviously stipulations involved. But I think we can start holding the coaches to the same you know responsibility we're asking the players to. Correct. Uh, that Correct. being said, I don't think there is any perfect rule. But I would say this: like if you're a if you're a player out there considering it, you gotta understand a couple things that you have no guarantee. No coach is going to promise you that you're gonna start on their team. No, whether at your place you're currently at or the place you're going, no, no coach, no smart coach is going to do that because you lose all sort of motivation. And it, it's a silly way to do it. And my perfect example for me, since it was obviously at Penn state was when Tommy Stevens left and went down to Mississippi state and <sighs> Tommy Stevens, basically, I mean, from what I understood, Tommy Stevens was basically told as much as possible. Like, Hey, if you stay, you're going to start, but we can't tell you that, but that's how it is. Like we're, We're going to give it to you as much as we can, but we can't just give it to you. Um, And you're never going to get that promise anywhere. So when you leave, you have to understand that there are no guarantees. And if you go, you are risking everything. Now, if you have a degree, at least you have something to fall back on. If you don't, now you're basically saying, I got one year, I got maybe two years to basically learn the playbook, get on my coach's good side, make chemistry with my teammates, maybe hopefully graduate and then make enough of an impact, not just play good, but make enough of an impact to make it to the pros. I mean, that's a pretty big bet on yourself. And if you believe in yourself, you should obviously do it, but I've seen too many kids now transfer for the wrong reasons and not be successful. So it's an interesting point, but I have a couple other things I want to talk to you about. So I'm going to leave that there. Cause we, well, can... we may have to,
1: honestly, we...
0: <laughs> we may have to do a part two. Well, how about, we, how, about we just, how about we wrap it all up? Because I mean, you're giving me plenty of time is there any last-minute thoughts you want to kind of chime in real quick?
1: No, I would just say, uh, you know, thanks for having me, Corey. Thanks for having me. And um, I obviously always enjoy talking about college football. I love college football. I love college football actually a lot more than pro football. <clears throat> I, lo- I like them both, but I love college football. Uh, I just think that it means more. To me, it means more to the, the players and the fans. Um, and obviously, it's not about the money yet. It, it's it's going there, and that's probably another subject we can get on one day. Uh, you know, should college players be paid? But um, I just feel like um, dialogue is always good, and uh, there's not always um, a right opinion by one person that has all the answers. It's always good to. To brainstorm and talk about all the different issues because that's how you come up with different solutions. Uh, just doing stuff like this. You know, I, I'm learning stuff from you by talking to you. So as long as you can, uh, can just continue to dialogue and bring up different points of views, um, that's how we solve things and that's how we get better. So
0: Thanks for having me. Hey, the pleasure has all been mine. This has been, this has blown away my expectations completely. I really appreciate it. You're always welcome to come back on the show and talk college football or talk about anything. So, Chester Johnson, the first, thank you very much for coming on the show and breaking down this awesome matchup on hardcore college football. Uh, best wishes to you, and I will uh, hopefully talk to you Stay soon. Stay in touch, Corey. Stay in touch. Absolutely. Have a great one. Thank you very much. Okay. See ya. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, that was a heated, that that was a fantastic conversation. I can't can't thank Cluster Johnson enough for coming on and and giving us a great breakdown of the 1994 Nebraska team, but also how he thought the 1994 uh, game would go between Penn State and Nebraska. I didn't expect it to go that long in any capacity, um, but, I mean, it was phenomenal. So I'm going to cut this one off here. This is going to be our uh, podcast for the week, man. I mean, this is just some good stuff. Um, If you haven't already, check us out on Patreon. Check us out on YouTube. Got a lot of fun, great things coming our way, but I mean, this has been this has been phenomenal. Uh, With that being said, stay hardcore. Have a great one, everybody.